Sales Tuners, Episode 15, Greg Freeman, Partner at West Point Financial Group. You know, you're raised to not talk to strangers and not talk about money. And those are the two things that I was actually required to do on a daily basis. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Jim Rohn, who said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Sales tuners, if you have not started laying out your goals for next year, or if you have not downloaded the free 2017 sales roadmap I released last week, you've got to do it now. Head over to salestuners.com slash roadmap and get to work breaking down the specific actions you need to take on a monthly, weekly, and even daily basis to make 2017 your best year ever in sales. This week, I'm joined by Greg Freeman, a partner at West Point Financial Group. While ascending the ranks of the firm, Greg was named West Point Financial Group's Rookie of the Year, and a few years later, Agent of the Year. Not bad for a guy who didn't realize out of school that being a financial advisor meant he'd actually be a salesman. If his relentless competitive nature doesn't come through in our conversation, I'll also let you know that he's a black belt in karate, played college basketball, and is also a scratch golfer. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end, where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salesstuners.com slash Freeman. But now let's get to the conversation where Greg talks to me about his struggles out of the gate and how he looked to senior advisors for guidance. So I got into sales right out of graduating from Indiana University. I, uh, to be honest with you, Jim, I didn't know what I was getting into. Never thought about sales as the path I wanted to go. Uh, graduated with a finance degree, thought I'd go corporate finance and then I had the opportunity with West Point, jump up, learned a little bit more about it and, you know, decided to, to try to create my own path, which I, you know, being in sales, I, I as you know, I, I like the fact that you can kind of set your own path and become your own boss in a way. For sure. For sure. So now bring me all the way to the future and tell me what you're doing today. What, uh, well, how does someone buy from you today, Greg? So now I'm a partner at, at our firm. We've got about 200 advisors um, and I, I do financial services. So um, in the financial services world, people can ask me to do a financial plan for them, um, which shows them how to get to retirement, what kind of college planning that they're looking to, to accomplish, life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care insurance, those types of things um, that you can pay a fee for, or sometimes there's commission built in just depending on, you know, what it is you're trying to accomplish. Got it. And so Greg, you know, in this show, we, you know, we break it down into three components. We talk about the behaviors, the attitudes and the techniques that have led to your success. As you were telling me about how people buy from you today, you know, it's financial planning, right? But how is that sales? So 
first and foremost, it's definitely sales. I like to think of it as advising or consulting. But at the end of the day, if I put together a phenomenal financial plan, in my opinion, and I can't get the the prospect or client to buy into it or sell them on the financial plan and, and what it takes to to achieve their goals, I'm not doing them any good. And I'm you know not bringing in revenue for West Point and myself. Got it. Got it. And so, Greg, obviously you weren't always a partner at the firm. You weren't always having the success that you are today. So when you when you were starting out, what what did a day look like? What did your world look like for you from a sales perspective then? So when I first got started, again, I didn't know a lot about the industry. Um, Lingo was somewhat familiar because my background in finance, but um, I, you know, I didn't know what it meant to to be in sales or what activity meant and those type of things. So so when I got started, the number one thing that I tried to make sure I did every single day was schedule two to three meetings and run 10 to 15 meetings a week um, with prospective clients. Um, and I and I did that really well right out of the gate. Uh, didn't know a lot about the business, but I was able to do joint work with some of the older advisors, uh, learn kind of in the fire, if you will, um, you know, by schedule meetings and, and getting older advisors in front of some, some of my prospects. And then as I saw them, you know, and their techniques, I started taking pieces from everybody. I certainly haven't invented anything, but I take a bunch of, uh, their philosophies and their, you know, their lingo, lingo and, and how they communicate with their clients. And I started to take bits and pieces and form my own. Um, and I, and I actually struggled right out of the gate. I was able to get in front of a lot of people, but I couldn't, I, I didn't close a lot of business. Um, and I think I was, I think I had the head trash at the start a little bit, just about money. You know, you're, you're raised to not talk to strangers and not talk about money. And those are the two things that I was actually required to do on a daily basis. Yeah, it's, it was what your job is, is to literally uh, talk to strangers about money. I want to I want to go down both of those paths with you, Greg. So let's start out with getting in front of people. It sounds like you were actually, as you said, having a great um, t- track record of getting in front of people. What were you doing to open up the doors to these new conversations, these prospective uh, conversations? So the first thing I did and what, what we tell all of our young advisors to do is is reach out to your natural market. OK, so anybody that if you call them. And they look at their caller ID. They're going to answer and say, "Hey, Greg, how you doing? How you know what's up?" And so I did that. I reached out to to everybody, and I'm from a small town, so everybody knew who I was, knew my family. And um, what was hard was people said no to me that I thought would say yes, and some people said yes to me that I thought would say no. Um, and I was able to gather up gather up some clients that way. So I started doing that, and then you run out of your natural market fairly early. So then I started doing. Um, I, I, I remember I went out and I, I did like a baby expo at the, uh, state fairgrounds and I bought lists and I, I remember one time and I kind of wanted to do this just to make sure I would never do it again, but I called out the phone book. And so I'm doing all these different things, trying new things. I'm, I'm seminars. I'm taking people out to play golf. I'm taking people out to lunch, buying them coffee, um, talking to centers of influence, people who I thought cared about my success, but maybe didn't want to do business with me early on because I was so young. And so I'm, I'm doing anything that I can think of. And I'm starting to mark things off of the checklist of things that I just hated to do. Um, and one of those things was the baby expo. Hated that. <laughs> hated that. But I, I, I thought, you know, the reason I actually did that originally is because I thought, oh, these people want to plan for their 
for their newborn baby, or maybe they want life insurance because they now have a responsibility. And, you know, it just wasn't the type of market that I wanted to work in long term. So I, so I started going down a different path. And today I do things a little bit differently than I did then, but activity level is still about the same. Got it. Got it. So you made some assumptions back then that just weren't, they just didn't work out and you figured out very quickly the ones you didn't like and you figured out the ones that, that worked for you. So let's, let's move that on. So now you've got all of this uh, activity going, but uh, as you said, you weren't able to close. What was the reason for not being able to close those deals? So I think early on, I was trying to, to advise people and, and buy, if you will, with my own pocketbook rather than the client's. And, you know, what I thought was, oh, this is something I could do, wasn't necessarily the right recommendation, or if what they should have been doing is something I couldn't even comprehend financially at that time. Um, I didn't have conviction and passion on getting them to, to make that decision. So I, I kind of let people off the hook. Um, and, I, and I had a hard time talking about it because I just couldn't understand how they could do it because I couldn't do it. And then I realized, and I remember Sam Houston, one of the guys in our office, he said, Hey, you can't, you can't ever let a prospect buy with your own pocketbook. And uh, you know, that's, that's true in any sales. Um, so that, that was a good mind shift that I was able to have. And then I know Jim, you and I have talked about this, but equal business stature. And what that means to me is you are equal in front of any prospect, whether it's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, a small business owner, an executive, or um, you know maybe it's even a teacher that you're trying to help with with retirement planning, you've got to become equal business stature when you're talking about people and their money and helping them make decisions. Because at the end of the day, I got to make sure that I help them make you know good decisions for their for themselves and their families. Greg, that makes complete sense to me today. But how did you get equal business stature at 23 when, as you said, you're talking to you know potentially very successful people about financial concepts that you don't even understand? And as you said, you can't afford. How were you able to to build that with them? So at first, at first what I did was joint work, uh, took older advisors and really, you know, I, I was really good at the bonding and rapport, but I let the older advisors take over when it started um, down the path of recommendations and ideas and strategies. And then I started to learn. And as I learned, I felt more and more comfortable. And then I kept educating myself and I kept getting more and more licenses and certifications. Um, and as I did that, I could just tell my confidence was rising and it was rising quickly. And when I first got started in my first I don't probably two, two and a half years. I was probably in year seven, eight or nine based on the activity that I've had, that I had because I had so much activity compared to everyone else that I just, I'm running more appointments. I'm seeing more scenarios and more um, financial plans being put together. And that allowed my confidence and head trash um, to shift, which allowed me to have equal business stature with people that were maybe even above me financially and education wise at that time. So Craig, that makes sense. You're, you're, you're starting to put up a lot of shots. Uh, you're trying to figure out which ones are going in and what, uh, what not, what were some of those objections that you were getting uh, from people? Why were they not buying from you? Yeah. So some of the objections that you get in the financial services world are, well, you hear a lot of them probably in any sales in any sales capacity, but the ones that we hear are, I'm working with someone already or, um, oh, thanks, but I'm already taken care of. 
So let me give you an example. I walk into finish line and I just did this a couple months ago. Um, I walk into finish line. I'm literally going in there to buy a pair of shoes. Like I am not leaving finish line without a pair of shoes. I walk in, the salesperson comes up to me and they say, Hey, is there anything that we can help you with? My natural and first response is no, thanks. I'm just looking. I say it every single time. Don't mean to say it. I just say it. And so she's like, okay, let me know if you need anything. She goes away. And actually I do need something. I do need a pair of shoes. I need you to get the right size. And so I, instead of going back to her, maybe I go to the other salesperson and I don't know if they make commission or whatever off of that sale, but that person lost that sale because they didn't go further. So if I do that to buy shoes, I just assume that the, the first objection that anybody gives me, whether it's a sales call, whether it's whatever it might be, um, isn't the real one. So I dig a little deeper. I ask more questions. Hey, that's great that you're working with someone. Tell me about that. How long you've been working with them. And most of the time when I ask that question, we start to get a little bit deeper. And what I find out is they actually had a relationship, but it might've been five, six, seven, eight years ago, or they have one, but not, not a great one. Um, but that was their first response. And if I let them off the hook and I don't ask that next question, I'm probably not going to get that potential prospect, um, as a client. Interesting. So yeah, they were just trying to get you to basically to go away. Right. And, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at these, the two you gave me, Hey, I'm already working with somebody or, you know, I'm good to go. I, yeah, I hear these every single day in my world. Right. And so what, how do I start to overcome those? I love how you gave that, that shoe analogy. It makes a lot of sense. So now that you, you know, you're starting to see some success in the world, what does, you know, take me to a time when, things just didn't go your way. You know, what, what's one of those failure stories that you can tell me about that it was kind of like an aha, uh, an aha moment for you, if you will. Yeah. So I have failures every day. I, and when I have failures and whether it's somebody saying no to me, or I just, maybe I'm doing something wrong in the sales process, or maybe my communication's a little off, I can't get the client to move forward. And so that's always a failure. And what I've been able to do when I fail, and I think it's one of the biggest things that that separate me from someone else, is my my time from being paralyzed from that failure is very short. I realize, hey, I can't I can't be all things for all people. I'm not always going to hear yes. If I don't hear no enough, I'm not asking enough people. So I I let that that small window of being unhappy, sad disappointed, paralyzed, as I say, I let that be small and I move on to the next person. Cause if I, if I, if I let the failure stop me from moving on to the next person, I'm actually doing that next person who I don't even maybe know yet a disservice. Um, because I let the last person affect me. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Give, I, I want to go a little bit deeper with you, but like, is there a specific example of a time where it just completely went awry for you? Uh, well, so, so I deal with, with money and, and on life insurance, I take care of families a lot of times, or I try to help, you know, the, the spouses take care of their families by buying something like that. And, and I've had a couple instances and it almost brings tears to my eyes thinking about it, but I've had a couple of instances where I've, I've let people say no, and maybe I didn't challenge them back or push them or answer their question correctly or whatever it was. There was a lack of communication or something that I let them off the hook from buying. And I've had situations where, um, you know, that something had happened and you can't predict the future when that's going on. And most likely it's not going to happen, but I've had instances where people's had, um, those life changing situations and, 
life insurance or disability insurance would have made all the difference in the world. And I let the person say no, because I've had that experience, I really fight and challenge my prospects and clients now um, to know that, hey, this stuff's real. This could happen. So those are some failures that I look back on that that are near and dear to me and, and painful that have helped me for anybody in the future. That's pretty powerful stuff, Greg. I sat here and had like a, a actual real reaction, a physical reaction to that because, you know, I don't think the majority of my listeners here are dealing with life and death or, or as you said, disability and things like that. But, but my goodness, yeah, you know, we still let people get off the hook and, you know, knowing that we could have and should have helped that person. It definitely means a lot more, I think, um, in your world, potentially. Um, it, you kind of maybe started to allude to this, but, but I want to ask it directly. What do you think is, uh, Greg, the thing that holds most people, uh, most salespeople back from hitting their goals? Uh, without a doubt. And a lot of, a lot of things fit in this realm, but head trash. A lot of times we're we're worried about what the person's going to say. We're thinking about the phone call, and then it takes us forever to make the phone call. And then when we finally make it, they don't even answer. So we worried for 15 minutes about what would possibly be said, and then they don't even answer. Um, maybe we're we have head trash on we're not smart enough, or or tall enough, or cute enough, or whatever the case might be. But it's all this head trash, and I try to take that head trash and say, let's just do it. It's a behavior. It's a sales is a contact sport and I need to make as many contacts as possible. And if, if I can shorten that and we're always going to have head trash, I still have it. But if I can shorten the time that I have the head trash or I'm aware of the head trash and can fight through it, then I can be successful. And so that's, if whatever it is, if, if you're listening to this and you're a salesperson, you, you're like, man, I do have head trash. It's probably different than the person sitting next to you. Maybe you have a different fear, but figure out how to deal with that. Be aware of it. It, it exists, but figure out how to deal with it. I love how you said that, Greg. You know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I still have head trash, right? And I think that it it changes and it evolves, but like I get a new uh, head trash. Well, I've had all this success, but I can't do X, right? And whatever X is. So it's fascinating to me, uh, you know, how you said that. So I, I guess looking at that, what is it that keeps you driven and keeps you going, right? Like how are you sustaining uh, the level of success that you're starting to see? Well, uh, so I love to help people. And I think that's the canned answer. I love to help people. Um, I, I love when my clients, um, thank me for helping them reach retirement and be able to provide their own paycheck for themselves now that their employer doesn't do it anymore. Um, taking care of families. I love that. That's the canned answer. Everybody in my industry loves that. But I also, I also love to be successful and I love to, um, employ new people and help them be successful. And I, and I like to, I really love to lead by example. And the only way that I can do that is by being ultra, ultra successful so they can see that, hey, this this can be done. You can do this. And I love the work. I love to uh, compete and I, I, you know, I love to get better. So all those things um, is what keeps me driven. I, we show each other our numbers and we talk numbers, um, you know, on Mondays and throughout the quarter and definitely throughout the year. Um, and if I'm not on the top of the leaderboard, it literally makes me sick to my stomach. Um, and I'm just happen to be in an industry that I get to help people while, you know, being on the top of the leaderboard in sales. 
Sure. Was there, Greg, was there like a, a magical moment? Can you look back and say, man, this is the time where it just started to click for me. And, and then as a result, like what, what did you start doing after that moment? Yeah, the, I, I actually remember it like it was yesterday. So I'm going up the elevator and it's it's uh, December of 2009. I'm fresh out of school, uh, been in the business for six months. And I remember talking to my sales manager, Josh, at the time. And Josh is one of my good friends now. He's one of the partners of the firm. Um, look up to him. And, I, and I, I'm asking him, I'm thinking I'm going to get this silver bullet idea. I said, Josh, I don't know who else to reach out to. I've talked to everybody. Um, I'm not sure what else to do. And he said something at the time, actually... I was not happy about. He said, figure it out. You'll figure it out. And I look back on that. And if something's that important to you, then you do figure it out. And there's not probably a silver bullet, but you figure out whatever that is, that silver bullet for you is to be successful. And if you want it that bad, you do figure it out. Um, and I look back on that time. So Josh told me that, and I'm, I'm going up the elevator with him thinking, man, you're my sales manager and that's your, that's your advice to me. Like right. I thought something good was going to come out and he told me that and he probably told 10 other people that, but I was probably one of the the two out of the 10 that actually said, you know what? That's actually exactly right. I'm going to figure it out. And what did that mean? What did you, what did you start doing that day that now has made that transition for you? So what that meant was I had to, the name of the game's contact. So I have to figure out who the new people are. And my, my clients, when I look back on that year of 2010, the clients that, that I didn't know, um, were going to be clients were 90% of my book of business. So I didn't know who my, my new business was going to be in 2010, but I figured it out. And some of that had to do with workshops and I've done seminars and I joined basketball leagues, um, and golf leagues with, with nobody else in mind, I said, Hey, put me on a random team. I'm going to go meet people. I'm going to generate business that way. So I did something that I love to do. I think when you network, that's important too. If I'm going to add that, do something you love to do and do it for the right reasons and good things come from it rather than me. I don't it. Some people like to do this and there's nothing wrong with this, but I don't enjoy going to rainmakers. I don't enjoy going to B and I meetings. I like to go do the things that I like to do and make friends um, and network that way because I have a lot of passion that way. Sure. No, I get it. Greg, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. It's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners don't you go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, Octif has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We're back. And it's time for the money round. Greg, are you ready for the money round? I am. I am. I am. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most from your transformation from normal to exceptional? I would say consistency. Um, I, 
every single day I try to be consistent. I try to make sure by nine o'clock I make my first touch um, every single day. And, and I know that I need to schedule a minimum or what I say target of two meetings a day um, and try to get three or four. And if I can do that every single day, I'm going to be successful. So consistency is a huge, huge piece of, of my success. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend the next 30 days doing? Developing good habits. Um, we, you know, we have a lot of advisors that come in and they try to be ultra, ultra smart, but they don't develop the right habits and they don't get in front of enough people. So sometimes they have to leave the industry, um, with a lot of cred- credentials and, um, a lot of knowledge, but they hadn't been able to help anybody. So I try to develop, I would say develop the, develop the best habits you can right out of the gate and you'll, you'll do it. You'll do it forever. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, without a doubt, I hate to lose. I expect to win. So when I win, it doesn't feel as good as it does bad when I lose. Um, and so I would say I hate to lose for sure. Greg, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? So a book called Relentless. Um, it, it, it is a book about Michael Jordan, Dwayne Wade, and Kobe Bryant's trainer. And it just gets me in the right mindset and excited. So a book called Relentless. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Greg's suggestion of Relentless for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Greg, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Um, it, it, if you're thinking about it, do it. Um, you know, take that leap. You can think things to death sometimes and you don't end up, uh, you don't end up taking that leap until, you know, it's too late. So if, if you're thinking about do it, doing it, then just do it. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you, Greg, or connect with you uh, after the show today if they wanted to? Uh, probably the best way is, is they can, um, look me up on LinkedIn, Greg Freeman, um, or they can email me at Greg Freeman at financialguide.com would be uh, happy to, to connect and learn more about you and answer any questions you might have. Greg, this is awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks, Jim. I loved it. Greg is a truly awesome individual that I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know. You could probably sense that Hoosier charm coming through our conversation. I want to go ahead and get to my top takeaways with number one being, it's not your money. This remains a challenge for most people in sales, but you have to realize the amount of money you're asking a person for has no correlation to your own wallet or your perception of what a lot of money is. Just because you couldn't afford to buy something or just because you've never done what you're asking the buyer to do doesn't mean they can't or shouldn't. Number two, overcome the default objection. How many times have you walked into a store with a specific intention to buy something and when the store clerk asks if they can help you, you just respond with your default response saying, no thanks, I'm just looking. Pretty much every time, right? Buyers of your product are doing the same thing by saying they're good or they already have someone. What are the follow-up questions you can ask to break through that initial objection in your world? Number three, quit thinking, start doing. It was General George Patton said, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed at some indefinite time in the future. To break that down, simply get out of your own way. Pick up the phone, send the email, just start doing something. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. 
Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right, I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.